0: In light of the heightened tensions between Russia and Ukraine, both in recent years and in the past month, um, today's episode of Cast from the Past, we will be taking a deeper look at the history of Russia and Ukraine, common misconceptions people have about them, and the long-lasting influence of the Mongol Empire on today's current affairs between Russia and Ukraine. Please enjoy the episode, stay tuned for more, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Hello, Um, this is Elaine and I back at Cast from the Past. Today, we're going to be interviewing Dr. Thompson on the Ukrainian-Russian conflict. Um, So Dr. Thompson, if you would like to introduce yourself.
1: Hi, my name is Iva Thompson. I'm a professor of Slavic Studies America at Rice University. And I've taught the courses on Russia, Slavic cultures, and what's going on in Ukraine today. (laughs) So uh, what I would like to give you uh, today is a brief survey of how those two countries, Russia and Ukraine, developed in history. And I would like to start by telling you something that happened many, many years in the past. I was teaching a course on Slavic studies then, and students kept asking me, why do I always say there's Russia, there's Ukraine, and there's Belarus? I mean, aren't they the same country? They have the same language, they have the same history and all that. I said, no, 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 and no but they wouldn't believe me because they brought textbooks that said that. And I, you know, just couldn't really take on all the textbooks that they brought me. But I would like to see those students today and see how they look at things today. So what I would like to tell you is why Ukraine and Russia are at odds. Why do they just about ready to fight? So let us go just briefly, 10 centuries back and see what Russia was 10 centuries ago and what Ukraine was 10 centuries ago. Well, Russia 10 centuries ago was nowhere to be found. We simply don't know much about Russia in the 10th century. Uh, however, what is today Ukraine was a principality in Kiev, the city of Kiev, the same city that Ukraine has as capital today. And uh, it was a flourishing city. It was a highly civilized city, it was part of Europe. It was something that would join the European uh, family of nations if it weren't for the invasion of the Mongols. The Mongols swept through Eastern Europe in the 13th century, and they tried also later. They got as far as Silesia, where Polish and German forces together re- repelled them. But they took over Kiev, they took over the lands around Kiev, and they absolutely raised Kiev. There was nothing left. It was this beautiful principality, beautiful new state, with nothing really that remained. In the meantime, in Moscow, of course, the Mongols took over Moscow as well, and the Moscowite princes simply paid homage to the Mongols, and they survived as leaders of that territory. Whereas in Kiev, there was a complete uh, disaster. Really, nothing really survived, and the princes simply were killed. Now, uh, as time went on, the lands that are now Ukraine were taken over, but not by Russia, which didn't exist then, but by the country of Lithuania, that you might've heard about, a tiny little country on the Baltic Sea. Lithuania was a very large country they conquered from, they took over from the Mongols, a lot of territory. They took over Belarus, they took over Ukraine, And suddenly Lithuania became an enormous country in the 14th century. 1384 was the uh, important date. Why was it important? Because Lithuanian prince, who was then pagan, did not yet join the uh, family of nations of Europe, decided to marry a Polish princess named Jadwiga Hedwig and receive Christianity from Rome. And he did. So he became the Polish king and also the Grand Prince of Lithuania. And the joint country, Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth became the largest country in Europe. And it remained the largest country in Europe until the 18th century. Very few people know about it. It's almost unknown, you know, that such a country even existed. So here we are in the 15th century, at the beginning of the 15th century, Jagiello Mary Jadwiga, it absorbs, Poland absorbs the lands of Ukraine and Belarus as well. And Lithuania is still playing an important role. So here, note that so far, so good. Ukraine has never been in Russian hands. So time goes on. 16th century, those polish swedish Commonwealth has the golden age. And uh, then comes the 17th century. And what happens then is uh, uprising, a rebellion in Ukraine, a man by the name of Bogdan Chmielnicki stands up against the Polish landlords, who, by the way, were not ethnically Polish. They were just Polonized because anthropologically they were Ukrainian. I mean, whatever you call them, Ruthenian, Ukrainian, but they were not ethnically Polish. They simply got Polonized because of the influence of Polish culture. So Chmielnicki starts this rebellion and Poland loses. Chmielnicki wins, but he wins this rebellion because he asks Moscow for help. And this is the first time really that Moscow had anything to do with Ukraine. What happens then in 1667 to be exact? Poland and Muscovy sign a treaty and Poland gives over to Muscovy, Eastern Ukraine and parts of central Ukraine, including Kiev. So 1667 is the first time that Moscow gets part of Ukraine, I repeat part, okay? So we go on, next big date, you have 1795, the partitions of Poland. Poland disappears from the map. Two, three cannibals, I call them cannibals because this is cannibalizing a fellow state which was next door. Three cannibals, Prussia, Russia and Austria, uh, attack Poland simultaneously and, Simply divide Poland between themselves. Poland was too weak to 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 defend itself. So uh, what happens then is that Russia, which by that time is pretty powerful, Catherine the Great and so forth, uh, takes over the remnant of the central Ukraine. But what happens to Western Ukraine? Does it fall into Russian hands? No. Western Ukraine goes to Austria, and at the end of the 18th century, Western Ukraine falls into Austrian hands and remains in Austria, as part of Austria, until the end of World War One, which is 1918, okay? 1918, there's a Polish-Soviet war, and again, Western Ukraine falls into Polish hands, 1918, and it is in as part of the Polish state until, 1939 when the second world war starts and finally in 1945 soviet russian army overruns entire eastern and central europe and for the first time in history western ukraine becomes russian okay so you see to say that ukraine was always russian is absurd because the nationalists Uh, in Ukraine developed in the Western part of Ukraine, not in the Eastern part. The Eastern part was pretty much russified by the time of World War II, but the real uh, patriotism was in Western Ukraine. And this is where all the leaders uh, came from, the early leaders. So, you know, you have to sort of cross it out in your textbooks that Ukraine was always part of Russia. No, it became part part of Ukraine, became part of Russia in 1667. And from that time on, Eastern Ukraine was in the Russian hands. But Western Ukraine fell into Russian hands only after World War II for the first time in history. So this is, has to be remembered. And since this, is, this was this way, we have now to think what were the consequences of this division of Ukraine, this partition of Ukraine, you might say. Well, first of all, uh, This eastern Ukraine got pretty much Russified. You know, it it had uh, end of the 17th century, 18th century, 19th century, 20th century, over 300 years in Russian hands. But also, you know, the western Ukraine was 300 years in Polish-Lithuanian hands. So, you know, it's not so much that it was always in Russian hands. And, uh, however, notice that. Putin attacked uh, first Eastern Ukraine because there were cities there that were pretty Russified, like Donetsk or Lugansk. And this is where the first attack of of Putin came because he knew that there would be many people sympathizing with Russia because for generations, you know, they spoke Russian, they got got Russified, they sort of uh, forgot that Ukraine was a completely different uh, entity and that it really belonged to a different culture. You know, this is extremely important to remember that Muscovy, Russia really developed after two and a half centuries of Mongol yoke. That means that the Mongols uh, imposed on Russia, their political system, the system of state organization, everything that they, had in order to keep their their lads together and what was that well first of all a certain f- a philosopher called the mongol system oriental despotism oriental despotism means that there's only one person that counts in the state and that is whoever you, however you call him it. It's the tsar is the khan if you are you know in a uh, mongol uh, uh situation, Uh, whether you call him the great leader in science fiction books, doesn't matter. But he's the one that has all the power, executive power, legislative power, and judicial power. And the idea of the division of power simply doesn't exist in a state that's organized according to the Mongol pattern of organization. This is why, say today, Putin can say, okay, you know, uh, I'm going to invade. He cannot be stopped by anybody, even though Russia now has all the accoutrements of democracy. You know, it has the elections, it has uh, those other uh, attributes, it supposedly has uh, the system of justice and so forth, but the truth is the, the remnants of this uh, Mongol Way of organizing the state are still very much in the Russian consciousness, and therefore the Russians don't rebel. You know, they should rebel against Putin. Of course, there are a few rebe- people that rebel, but they're very few. My, uh, if you think about the size of Russia, 140 million, you know, you should have an entire million people. You know, against it, you just will have a few dozen, and we say, "Oh, Russia is changing because look, you know, that we have Navalny, we have still other people who have democratic people there." Of course, we do, but you know, if you have 10 or 20 or 30 and we have 40 million, 140 million people. That's a joke, right? So it's a very interesting situation now in Russia because on the one hand you have the remnants of this Mongol uh, style of, of government, uh, which also by the way includes the ownership of all land in the state. So in, in, in Russia, people had the nobility, didn't own the land that they supposedly administered. That's a very interesting fact. You know, only Catherine the Great gave them the right to, to do it. But anyway, I, I'm going off on tensions. <laughs> and now I lost my, <laughs> my train of thought. Well, the, what's going, what is going on right now today in Russia is, is this, basically the Russian uh, population is uh, passive. And yes, they would love to have Ukraine back because they had it during the Soviet Union. For, for 50 years, they had Ukraine. All of it, all of it—the Western Ukraine, Central Ukraine, Eastern Ukraine—they want this back, and if not, at least a chunk of Eastern Utre- Ukraine. As they say, the Russians always want peace—a piece of Poland, a piece of Ukraine, <laughs> and so forth. So there you are. Uh, population is pretty passive. Uh, of course, everybody is afraid of war. Who isn't anywhere? I and mean, everybody is both in Russia and in Ukraine. But. Uh, but it would be nice, sort of the, the, the Russian public uh, certainly believes that it would be nice if Ukraine or parts of it returned to Moscow as, as war bounty or just in any other fashion. So uh, Putin is trying to get Ukraine back. Ukraine represents the old civilization, the Prince Vladimir's uh, principality Ten centuries ago was something that was on par with any other European state, whereas Putin always feels this inferiority complex, you know, that Russia is not quite as civilized or as developed as Western countries. So it would be nice to have this Ukraine that will up our status. But uh, to get Ukraine back, uh, (laughs) you have to start a war, and you're not sure that you will even get. Anything out of that war. So I would my my guess, and this is a guess, the rest is all true, but this will be a guess. My, my, my feeling is that Putin himself doesn't know what to do at this point, because he he sent those ultimatums to to uh, President Biden. And uh President Biden allegedly said no. Uh, and we haven't seen those documents, so we cannot judge. But I would say Putin doesn't know what to do now, because he counted on certain amount of Uh, softness on the part of President Biden because Biden passes for a weak president, right? But turns out so far, so good. Uh, And what is going to happen there, my personal prediction is that Putin will not invade. It's just too much risk right now. And he will be satisfied with getting the Yeskin Lugansk, and of course the Crimea, which he annexed. I don't think uh, Ukraine will get Crimea back at any time that I can think of. And I'm afraid Donetsk and Lugansk, which are big industrial complexes, uh, very important for Ukraine, are lost as well. So uh, I think this is the situation in Europe. And uh, uh, that doesn't, of course, say anything about the problem of uh, gas and oil, but that's a separate story, not a Ukrainian story. So now we can ask questions. <laughs>
0: I think there are a lot of really interesting points in that, and it's true that like a lot of the way at least we in the United States think of Russia and Ukraine is that Ukraine has always been this sort of like little s- subsidized thing that has always been uh, attached to russia um and I think we don't think about how different they are culturally as well, which I think you mentioned. I think we kind of just think Russia and
1: Ukraine, which have the same together. culture, have the same history yeah. Yeah. so. Yeah, well, you know, I think that in a sense it's good for Ukraine that those things happen, even though it causes tremendous hardship. I mean, the country needs to concentrate on economic development and not on building up the army to fight the Russians, you know, but it's good for Ukraine in this sense that it really builds up patriotism. I mean, if they're Ukrainians and hesitated, didn't know, are we Ukrainian? Are we Russian? Are we whatever? Are we nothing at all? Now, see, Who is the friend, who is the enemy? And this is very good for Ukraine because that consolidates the country and every country to survive must be consolidated. So, you know, contrary to what some people think that we can have some kind of global government, I don't believe in anything, any such thing because countries are just too different and they need to be ruled from inside, not from outside. So I think in some ways it's good for Ukraine, but of course in many other ways it's very bad. Thank
0: you so much, this has been very insightful. Um, I'm trying to think of, honestly, any questions that we have that you haven't (laughs) answered. And I think you've done a really wonderful job with your story telling us basically everything we wanted to know.
1: (laughs) Yes, I remember this, you know, this idea that Ukraine was always part of Russia or Belarus was always part of Russia. It's not true. They, they, They had a completely different history and they are used to different styles of government. That's why Hmel'nitsky rebelled. In a sense, he rebelled because he was part of this Polish-Lithuanian style of government where people had to rebel against the government if the government was wrong. I wrote a book, well, I've wrote two books that are relevant to my, to my book. One is entitled Understanding Russia, the Holy Fool Russian Culture. And the other one, uh, Imperial Knowledge, Russian Literature and Colonialism. And I am of the opinion that Russia, uh, unlike take Great Britain or France, uh, looked for colonies uh, next door, so to speak, instead of going overseas the way those other countries did.
0: Is there any final note you'd like to give to our listeners to like leave us off on?
1: Watch out! Watch out for what happens on the Ukrainian-Russian border, because that will be very important for the history of U- Europe and history of United States as well. So don't don't omit those political you know things from your uh, news evening news just concentrate on that and see what's going on
0: awesome thank you so much um thank you again for being with us and to- thank you thank you for tuning into this month's episode of cast from the past we hope you have a great week stay tuned for more and see you next time bye